Church of Christ presents, with God's help, the reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, January 28, 2024. Holy One, make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts clear and true to you, for surely you are our rock and our salvation. Amen. Well, at first glance, this short reading from Mark might seem like one to quietly skip over, maybe with a slight shrug of embarrassment. I mean, when was the last time you described someone in your life as being possessed by a demon and needing some exorcism? It isn't language that, for most of us, is part of our everyday way of understanding the world. And I confess, I was tempted to skip it altogether and go on to next week's reading. It took me more than a minute to find my way into this text. Ironically, when I slowed down, the first thing I noticed was the urgency that flows into this scene from the ones that preceded it. We're still in chapter one of Mark, but already, in quick succession, John appeared in the wilderness wearing his unusual clothing and preaching his intense call to repentance Jesus has been baptized, then immediately driven into the wilderness by the Spirit, where Satan tempted him, angels waited on him, and he was surrounded by wild beasts. As soon as he heard that John the Baptist had been killed, he made his way to Galilee and called his first four disciples, who dropped everything and immediately followed him. And we're only on verse 21. The breathlessness, the rapid succession of big and important events, the sense of urgency felt oddly familiar. Can I get a witness from anyone who scrolls on their phone? The sense of urgency that big things are happening all the time and you have to catch up. Any kind of media will give you that sense of breathlessness and urgency. Mark's Jesus is on a mission to announce the realm of God to the world. And there seems to be not a moment to waste. Jesus and his small group of followers arrive in Capernaum where Jesus enters the synagogue and starts to teach, leaving the gathered community astounded. Which made me wonder, when was the last time you or I or any of us was truly astounded and amazed, breathless, not with the speed of things, but with wonder. How do we let amazement and wonder into a culture pitched to the key of cynicism and snark? How do we pause? And then I imagine, what would it be like to not have grown up hearing the stories of Jesus? What would it be like to hear them for the first time? What would it be like to be there in that presence? Would I be astounded by the stories, by the way that Jesus taught? Stories that through repetition have become ordinary to me and expected. I read it last year and the year before 
and the year before, what would it be like to be hearing this for the first time? How might I have responded? I wonder, would I have dropped everything to follow? 2,000 years later, the urgency of the message remains because the urgency for the need of God's realm to interrupt unjust systems in the world remains. The urgency of the call to join God's beloved community remains. The urgency of the call to embody Christ's presence and spread the news of God's liberating love remains. An urgency toward amazed wonder at the goodness that is possible. And something more remains. Mark's world was full of shadows and menace. It was riddled with demonic forces who distorted creation and overwhelmed people's hearts and minds. That's the way people understood the world that they lived in. It was a dangerous place. Human beings were understood to be porous, open to spiritual influences. Jesus himself was driven into the desert by the Holy Spirit. And in today's story, a man is possessed by an unholy spirit. This archaic way of understanding the world may seem so foreign that we can't relate to it, but perhaps the very distance of it can help us to pause and get a new view into our own interior lives and our cultural context. In Mark's gospel, Jesus' teaching and this exorcism launch his public ministry. Mark makes this message clear. Jesus comes into the world as a healing liberator, in direct, authoritative opposition to the death-dealing forces of evil and ruin in the world. In that world, then, forces of evil were described as unclean spirits or demons. In our world, now, and I want to thank biblical scholar Matthew Meyer Bolton, whose words from a recent commentary commentary are woven with my own. In our world now, we might experience any number of death-dealing forces that feel like possession or being caught up in a dynamic that overwhelms our intention or our control. Think of the stories from your own life, your family, your friend circle of addiction. Think of the havoc that addiction can wreak on our physical health, ability to work, ability to trust ourselves, ability for family to trust us, the toll it takes on a person's selfhood and agency and their relationships. People are vulnerable to being caught up in something that makes them feel out of control. Consider how the force of racism and white supremacy pervade our culture and shapeshift over time from the systemic, overt, and intentional denial of equal rights to black and indigenous Americans to the implicit biases we all imbibe unwittingly, the kind of reflexive expectations and responses we make to people of other races, and how hard those can be to recognize in ourselves when we know we want to be people of goodwill but we have drunk in stories of what it means to be of different races. 
how hard it can be to recognize those biases, to uproot them, and to become free. Think about how anger can consume us, how envy can devour us. Think about a moment or a season of your life when one of those realities seemed to dominate every day, no matter how resolved you, you were not to let another day be spoiled. Consider how all of us, even against our will, are complicit in creating the, the blanket of pollution that's overheating our planet. Think about how hard this is to remember day to day, how hard it is to let it guide our choices and our behavior. We may not call addiction or racism or envy or anger demons, but they seem to me to have the potential to be demonic in their effects on our lives. These forces move through the world as though by cunning. They resist, they sidestep, or they co-opt our attempts to overcome them. And as we make those attempts, the experience can be less like trying to figure out a puzzle than wrestling with a beast. And so for Mark, Jesus comes into the world to wrestle with us, with those shape-shifting beasts. The word that is offered to us throughout our tradition is salvation. And so often, we grasp only one meaning. We grasp the idea of being set free from sin. That language may be helpful to you. If it is, great. But if it isn't, put it on the shelf for just a moment and think about the fact that the word salvation, Latin salvus, can mean health and wholeness. Salvation means health and wholeness. The salvation that Jesus offers has to do with heavenly, a heavenly land and the sweet hereafter, but it has more to do with ushering new health and wholeness into our lives and into our communities today. For the sake of all the people and the whole of creation, the death-dealing forces around us must be and can be confronted and ultimately overcome. This is the message of the gospel. This is the good news. To follow Jesus is to join him in this confrontation, to speak and act with boldness and clarity, to heal and liberate with our words and our deeds, just as Jesus did, because we have received healing that we can hope and trust in. As Mark tells it, when Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, and immediately took them into a synagogue to heal someone, he meant, follow me into the fray. Follow me into the shadows, into the menace of the world itself. He means, follow me into the work of building up, of freeing captives, of salvation. Follow me into the land hereafter in the sweet by and by, but especially and in but also and especially follow me immediately, right here and now. This is the good news and the challenge of the gospel. However formidable the death-dealing forces may seem, with God's help, they can be confronted and resisted and overcome. 
not once for all time, but day by day. However deep our personal and our cultural wounds may be, with God's help, the promise is they can be healed. God's healing and salvation are not only possible, they are on their way. The world seems frightening, but the gospel calls us to resolve and hope. And God's help, God's help can look like many things. God's help can look like community. It can look like an AA meeting. It can look like therapy and medication. God's help may be looking directly into the eyes of someone you trust and saying the thing that fills you with most shame about yourself and having them look directly back at you and say, I see you still as human. I see you still as holy and worthwhile. I see you as beloved. Healing can look like rest. Healing can look like fresh, meaningful labor. Healing can look like the Immigrant Mutual Aid Coalition standing in steadfast resistance to the voices shouting that immigrants are not worthy of help. Healing can look like voices raised together calling for ceasefire in Gaza, return of hostages, and a trustworthy negotiation toward peace. The world does seem frightening, but the gospel calls us to resolve and hope and to one another. The gospel calls us to steadfast resistance to every death-dealing force in the world. It calls us to allow our amazement and wonder to lead us into joyful participation in the beloved community. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.